The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. I'm here today. Tommy is here today. If you missed Cooley on the show yesterday, lots of really interesting conversation about the Super Bowl, but also quarterbacks, uh, Deshaun Watson and others. Um, I would urge you to go listen to the show from yesterday if you haven't yet listened to it. Uh, Look, I don't know where to start. Actually, I do. It's with the DC Sports Podcast Association because, man, (laughs) I am so proud, Tommy, of us. The DC Sports Podcast Association at DC underscore sports underscore PA. Congratulations to the Sheehan Podcast for being the number one rated sports podcast in the D.C. metro area for the month of January 2022. Oh, my God. It's so nice to actually be recognized for the work we're doing here, isn't it? You know, it's about time. It's about time that the association finally stepped forward (laughs) and gave us the due that we're deserved. You know, for years they ignored us. For years they've been ignoring us. And and I know. You remember the letter you wrote to them like two years ago? Like, have you listened to the podcast? And the guy just got back to you and said, We have. We have listened to it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That was insulting. Well, you know what? I think this is the beginning (laughs) of even bigger and better things. Oh my God, this is so funny. The best part is you told me about this. I actually saw it yesterday morning, and I laughed, and I liked it. And then you called me yesterday afternoon, and you said, have you seen how this thing's blowing up? And I said, I, I haven't. And then I, and I saw it last night, and I was like, oh, my God. There are, like, hundreds of likes and quoted tweets and retweets and responses. Should we – now – this is my estimation. 50% of the people that responded appeared to totally be in on what this was. And then 50% seemed to just be really happy for us. I think that's accurate. I think that's an accurate assessment. 50% of the people are in on the con and 50% are getting con. <laughs> the DC Sports Podcast Association Twitter account um, by the way, it, it follows you and me, which is really nice. They, they follow eight people, um, I've noticed, uh, including you, me, Standig, Galdi, J.P. Finley, which are the other podcasts, <laughs> the other local podcasts in town. 
Um, and they write that they are non-accredited and non-verified. And by the way, <laughs> just joined Twitter in February of 2022. Already, though, 62 followers for the yes. DCSPA. You know, I mean, that's big yes. time in a few days. What did you think the other podcasters thought when they read when they saw this? Well, do you think they did? What, uh, well, what I, do you think they thought? Oh my god! You know what? What the hell? I'm going to text Ben right now. <laughs> okay. Okay, but uh, look, look, you know what? There was part of me, a big part of me, that had a feeling this would happen when I brought it up on the podcast on uh, Tuesday. You didn't think somebody would do this, did you really? Yes, I, 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 I thought it may happen. Tommy, I thought it may happen. Tommy, on Tuesday, after I did a little bit of whining and complaining, um, I admit, uh, about this Jason Barrett top 20 uh, national podcast list that he put out. We were not on it, um, nor did I expect to be on it. But as, as, I, as I explained, excuse me, as I explained, I was more curious about who would be on it because I know that this podcast is a little bit of a unique podcast in the sports podcast world. I mean, I've been told that many, many times by people who kind of follow this and who sell for it um, and by advertisers, et cetera. And we're, we're, we're proud of that. But I complained that, you know, they didn't really take this podcast seriously, to which Tommy said, well, you know what we got to do? We got to create some association. This is always Tommy's go-to argument. We create an association that we create and we start giving ourselves awards. Well, we didn't create this, nor have we ever created anything, but somebody and whoever it was, congratulations, and by the way, hysterically funny, created upon Tom's request the DC Sports Podcast Association, to which its very first tweet, um, which of course is also now, um, you know, a tweet that appeared. Actually, I don't even think they have any other tweets. Do they have any other tweets? Oh my God! Some, I don't think some so. of the people following them now are all people in the business. This is funny. Um, yes. the, the DC Sports Podcast Association has one tweet, and it's congratulations to us for being rated the number one rated sports podcast in the D.C. metro area. Very funny. That's great. Awesome. And it looks like a lot of people got in on the joke and a lot of people didn't. And the people that didn't were so happy for us, which was nice. Yes, it was very nice. Um, and it, 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 you know what? What, what? what needs to happen is let's carry the joke even farther. Let's actually create that. Somebody out there actually create the association. You know, the whole thing, and we'll have a ceremony at Shelly's back room. <laughs> but, well, the, the association, I think, has already been created. I mean, what do you want to do? Do you want to create a not, have him do an actual nonprofit and, and, and be official? I mean, he's already official, or, or she. I don't know who this is, but the person that did this, you're already official in my book. I mean, you got a Twitter account, and on your very first tweet, you got, you got 280, 262 likes for crying out loud. I mean, that's a real business. Tommy retweeted it and just wrote, so proud. <laughs> and the responses to that, congrats to you and Kevin Sheehan, D.C., you're the best, well-deserved. Um, this is pretty funny. Yeah. 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 But again, but again, to really, I mean, once you're on to the joke, then, I mean, then you got to examine how far you can take it. And I think, I think we're just in the infancy 
of how far this can go. Congratulations. Well-deserved. Here's, 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 here's how far it can go. There's an actual association form. They have an actual award ceremony. It sounds like you've done and this we get the Washington Post. We get the Washington Post to cover it and write about it. <laughs> well, that, that would be beaut- beautiful because they will. Um, <sighs> that's pretty funny. I'm just looking yeah. at some of the responses to you retweeting it. I didn't have. I well, didn't have. I mean, I didn't look, have the nerve to retweet we're, we're, it. We're deserving of the award, right? Aren't we? Yeah, you know, the the responses to you retweeting it are mostly people that look like they bought into it hook, line, and sinker. Well, I c- couldn't let it go. I just couldn't ignore it. <laughs> you know, I had to say something, so I limited it. I really did. Two words. So proud. <laughs> oh, my God. That's really funny. Um to whomever did that, thank you. That was funny. Congrats. Uh, congratulations. You got a very nice response. And maybe, you know, uh, you reach out to us on DM and we'll try to put together something for real and we'll hold a big old party at Shelly's. Look, Tommy and I have talked about doing things. Uh, we have been approached by several people several times over the last couple of years to do some sort of an event um, you know, somewhere where we, you know, we, we do a Q and a, but we hold, we do, it's a big dinner with a lot of the podcast listeners and old radio listeners, etc. And we just haven't gotten around to doing it. We should do it. By the way, most of the people that approach us with this, and you'll appreciate this, they want us to do it as a revenue generating exercise, sell tickets to have a big dinner. We do a big dinner somewhere. We could do it at like the Bethesda draft cinnamon draft you know, on Wisconsin, and we sell tickets, right. and we do, you know, we do a 30-minute q and I mean, you, you and I used to do those things all the time for free, and, yes. and they said that this is a lot of the, this is the way a lot of the podcasts generate sort of additional revenue is by doing these. We've ne- we haven't done one of these things in years. We've never done one where we've sold tickets. Other than the you know yeah. lunch with a legend thing, which was a radio station thing, which was always a lot of fun right. to we've, do. We've, yeah, we've done them at the request of other people. Like we did one at the museum. We, uh, we did. The, the, we, we, we appear. We we appeared on Carol Joint's uh, television program. Right, right. That, that she used to do. Right. Yeah, yeah. So we've done these. Um, that's right. We did the Carol Joint thing, and we—I remember the uh, the museum thing. But you know, the like the yeah. lunch, the lunch with a legend things were really incredible turnouts. That wasn't for us though. That was usually for our guest. Yeah. Um, and we had a lot of really good ones. Uh, but yeah, maybe we'll do that. Maybe that's a goal here in 2022. I think we should do a. I, I don't. How many people seriously? Tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. Tweet Tommy at Tom Lavero, T-H-O-M, Lavero. DMS, if you want. I mean, how many people would really be interested in doing, I mean, we'd do it right. We'd have live music. We'd do a big old dinner, steak dinner, and Tommy and I would, you know, spend time with all of you guys doing a, a 30 to hour-long Q&A. We've done that at Shelley's before with for your event. We like yeah. doing that stuff, but how many people would actually pay for tickets to that? I've had so many people tell us, oh, no, 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 you would get an audience. I'm like, no, I don't know that we would. 
I think in, in in what would be the real revenue generated from it, I'd rather do it for, you know, have, you know, have them pay for the dinner part, maybe. I don't know if we're going to front drinks and dinner for everybody on a night if we had, you know, a group of, say, 100. I think we would get 100 people, don't you? I think we would. Um, but, I think we would. Now that, now that we've got the power of the D.C. Podcast, Sports Podcast Association behind us. But I don't know if I, I want to make no money telling. off of it. I don't think there's, I'd want to make money off it. I think it'd be more of an appreciation thing for us. Listen, you know my philosophy. <laughs> every, time you're, every time you're out there, I'm serious now. I believe in the, uh, in the abstract idea that every time you're out there doing something, you're, you're, you're putting money in the bank for your product. Yes. Okay. So I've always been a big believer of that. I don't, like I used to show up at book signing sometimes and nobody would be there. Nobody would be there, but I didn't care because that meant the bookstore publicized my book for a week and prominently displayed it. Sure. You know, so there's, there is always payback for that kind of work. So I've, I've, Absolutely. I'm not looking to make money off an event like that. Yeah, me neither. And I and I think but I'm telling you in the podcast world this has been presented to me now no less than a half dozen times over the last 2 years. This is what you need to do. These are other ways to generate revenue. Podcasters with loyal audiences are out there holding events where they pay. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't approach it that way. I would approach it as you described. Look, you and I have had this conversation before. And this is going to be a bit of a lecture um, for younger people in the business that really don't have followings. When you're asked to come on a radio show or a podcast as a guest, look at it as an opportunity, not as if you're doing the actual interviewer a favor. When you don't have much of an audience and you're new to town and you're young, you don't ask how much am I getting paid and if I'm not going to get paid, I'm not going to come on. I'm not going to mention names, but I've had that a couple of times recently over the last couple of years to which I have said, yeah, we don't pay for guests to come on, especially guests that no one's ever heard of when they just got to town. Um, younger people don't, don't, don't tell people, oh, it's too early for me. I can't do it when no one knows who you are. One of the biggest things for me early on in radio is every single time, and I know you did this too, every single time I was asked to appear as a guest on a radio show, of course, yes, you know, unless I was on the air and I couldn't do it. I, and I still to this day will do every single opportunity because it's a way to promote what we're doing. Yes. And yes. you would not believe, I'm not going to speak in terms of generational, okay, but the... In recent years, most of these people have been younger, and for whatever reason, they believe going on a radio show as a guest is an opportunity to make money, and if they're not going to get paid, then they're not going to do it. Um, I mean, I, I have not called any of those people back again, nor would I. I mean, it's their loss, and it's just, it's, it's just somebody that's given them bad advice. You know, when you have, you know, 50 followers on Twitter and you've just gotten to town and you're a reporter for anybody, um, you can't ask for money to do an interview. You should say thank you. Um, but anyway. Uh, I agree. You, however, hit me before the show with you need to take some time off. I, I'm not going to allow any time off this year. We're, we, we, got it. We, we didn't finish in the top 20. We're not taking days off this year. 
Hey, who just generated the biggest publicity campaign this podcast has ever seen? Ever. Ever okay? seen. All right. That's right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, taking, I'm not going to be doing the podcast for the first two weeks in March. Uh, we're in Miramar Beach for two months here, January and February. We leave at the end of February, and I'm taking a road trip back home to Frederick. That's going to take 11 days. It's going to take 11 days uh, to drive home, huh? Do you have the whole right, thing mapped out? To, Where are you going? Oh, yeah. We're, well, first, we're stopping in Lafayette, uh, Alabama. Uh, that's probably about four hours away because uh, that's where Joe Lewis was born, and there's a statue there. Of Joe Lewis, oh, God. and I want to see okay. that statue. Does Liz want okay. to see? Does Liz want to see that statue? No, she's just going along with the trip. Okay. You know, they, they, so, they, is there, are, and, are there pictures of the statue? Are there videos of the statue on YouTube? Well, they'll they'll be pictures of the statue with me. Okay, when I stop there. Okay, Joe so Lewis statue, and, and where is that again? Lafayette, Alabama, the the home of Dave Butts. The birthplace of Dave Butts I, wh- was born in Lafayette, Alabama. Fun fact to know and tell. Didn't know that. Wouldn't have figured that yes. Dave Butts was a Southerner. Would have figured that he was a Midwest then, guy. Well, they, he moved to the Midwest pretty early, I think, when he was uh, uh, young. Okay. But he was born, and, and in the early part of his life, he was raised in Lafayette, Alabama. Uh, and right from there, we're spent, drive, the rest of the day, we're driving to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, where we're going to spend the night, and the next morning... We're going to take a tour of the Fame Studio, uh, the famous studio where Aretha Franklin recorded, uh, Wilson Pickett recorded, the Allman Brothers recorded. Wait, where? The Rolling Stones recorded. Where? And Muscle Shoals. Oh yeah, Muscle, Muscle Shoals, Shoals, of course, Alabama. Leonard Skinner probably yeah. too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they all recorded there. So we're going to Muscle Shoals. This is like a music road trip in a way. Yeah. Well, uh, not necessarily then, Joe Lewis or, or Dave Butts. No, or no. Dave, or or Dave, and, and or then, Dave Butts's uh, was it his uncle? Who was the was Dave Butts uh, Earl Butts's uh, nephew or or I son? Think so. Yeah, I think his nephew, okay. the Secretary of Agriculture uh, under, Nixon. under the Nixon administration. Very I think. good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then from Muscle Shoals that afternoon, we're driving to Memphis, and then we're spending three nights in Memphis. We're going to the Stax Museum. We're going to Sun Records. We're going to the Smithsonian uh, Rock and Soul Museum. We're going to Graceland. We're going to uh, the National Civil Rights Museum. And we're going to party on Beale Street. Yeah, you're going to party on Beale Street. Where are you going to stay? You're going to stay in the Peacock Hotel? Uh, no, no, the Peabody. P- I mean the Peabody Hotel? Yeah. No, we're not staying in the Peabody, but we are staying close to Beale Street. Uh, so uh, we'll be able to uh, walk uh, somehow you know, back to the hotel room uh, at night. And then from there, we're going to Nashville. I've never been to Nashville. Well, you want to... we're going... Uh, you can... Uh, I'll ha- may, do you want my sister to make you guys dinner one night? Have you guys over? No. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> I love Nashville. I, you know, I spent some time in Memphis. Piggly Wiggly was a customer of ours way back in my supermarket okay. internet and we i spent a lot of time in memphis i spent a lot of time in nashville too i think i've told you this even before my sister moved there nashville was where we had our inbound telemarketing uh, facility which we actually partnered with jc penny with jc penny had a telemarketing business most of the telemarketers were out in the midwest 
um, like in Omaha, like the center of the country because of phone lines and, you know, uh, making it most cost effective. But JCPenney had our telemarketers in Nashville. So I spent a lot of time in Nashville. And then Piggly Wiggly was a customer of ours. They were a franchised brand. And the biggest franchise was in Memphis. And so I spent a lot of time in Memphis. Memphis, you can have. I mean, it's cool in Beale Street and the whole thing and the barbecue and the music. It's it's great. But outside of Memphis, like in that Germantown area, I forget some of the suburbs. I think Germantown's one of them, if my memory serves me correctly. It's just like strip mall, you know, after strip mall. Nashville, Tommy. Yeah. You've been to Nashville, right or not? No. You're going to you're going to love I Nashville. A, I spent a week in Memphis covering the Lewis Tyson fight back in, in what 2002. Right. Uh which and and I had a great time. That was a great week. I mean they couldn't do enough for us in Memphis and I, we really had a blast. So I've been dying to go back, but I've never been to Nashville. We're going to go to the Grand Old Opry, it's, probably see a show there. Yeah. We're going to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Yep. Go to the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame and whatever else pops up. As well, well, I mean, you just have to spend some time down, you know, on on Broadway and go into a lot of these dives right. and listen to live music. That's you know, that's the best that, part of, yeah. of Nashville is just going from one you know bar, you know, live music venue. To, I mean, as you're walking, you know, in downtown Nashville, you're just constantly hearing live music, which you and I both love. The thing that I love about Nashville, it's not just all country. You know, there's plenty of, 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 there's lots of rock music that has come out of Nashville, you know, over the years, um, especially over the last 20 years. But uh, you'll, you'll love that, just sit, sitting there listening to live music one spot after another. I'm trying to think of, I'll, I'll get you the list of the really good spots where we went. But are you going to want to listen to exclusively country? No, no, okay. not necessarily. Um, I mean, I like country music, but I'm not a country music fan. No, I'm not either. You know? Yeah. Um, but I like it. I like, I, I like the, the, the old school country music, you know, uh, George Jones, Willie and Waylon and those guys. Uh, but uh, but then, then from Nashville, mm-hmm. we're going to Louisville. We're driving to Louisville then. For the Ollie spend a for couple the of days Museum. in Louisville. Yes, I want to go there and see the Ollie uh, center and museum, and I want to visit Ollie's grave. So you're just driving right up. There. You're just driving right up 65. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just because uh, Nashville, it's 65 north to Louisville, if I remember. Um, Louisville, you can have Louisville too. Louisville, as they say. Oh, well, I've been in Louisville. Yeah. I covered a bunch of uh, uh, Kentucky derbies there. Yeah. But uh, I was either covering the race or drinking, so I never really got around. Louisville. I know, like they have the Louisville Slugger Museum there. I want to go to that where they make the bats. All right. From you Louisville, know? where are you uh, going next? Then, then we're heading home. We're okay. heading back home. All right. That's it. We, I figured that, that, that'd be like probably around March 11th or 12th we'll be back. All right. So you're going to miss two weeks of shows. And, and I'm going to actually, I'm heading to Palm Springs in the middle of March. Um, it's going to be part vacation and actually part going to my niece's wedding out in Palm Springs. And I'm looking very much forward to that because it'll be beautiful weather. It'll be golfing weather. Um, and uh, and it'll be um, about a week off in March, probably well, right before well, March stop. Madness starts. You can stop in and see Ted Lerner while you're out there. He has a, a palace, apparently, out in... Uh, Palm Springs. Right. 
Well, yeah, maybe yeah. I maybe I will, maybe I won't. Uh, it seems to to me that they <laughs> lowballed Juan Soto a little bit. Do you think that that was the case or not? Well, again, we're going through like the Anthony Rendon uh, exercise, uh-huh. where you know they offered Anthony Rendon a certain amount of money, and you know no one's going to say it was an insult. I mean, because when you're talking about that kind of money, it's never insulting. But $350 million was not going to get Juan Soto to say, well, you know what, I don't want to go through free agency, uh, you know, I, I, and, and go through all that. I really like it here. I'm not, I'm not leaving a lot of money on the table by taking this deal. I'll do it. They needed to add, uh, I mean, the report is from ESPN, it was $350 million. They needed to add another $100 million to that. Right. To get, even get them interested. Yes. So you've got to make them, again, it's, it's a Corleone thing. You've got to make them an offer that they can't refuse. That looks better than becoming a free agent. You know your Not guy. Not necessarily more money, but just looks better. Your guy, um, who's the guy that's really, really got a lot of really good sources inside the Nats? He always breaks news in the Nats. National writer. Um, who, am I, who am I trying to think of yesterday? Because I read his tweet, and I'm looking for it right now. I can't find it. You know who uh, I'm talking about? Um, Passon? No, not Passon. Um, Nightingale? Uh, Nightingale's, a, Nightingale's a good one. No, it's uh, John, John Heyman. Th- okay. That's what I'm thinking. Oh yeah. Of. Well, John Heyman is 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 Boris's guy. Yeah. He's got Boris. Right. 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 Is, I, I think uh, Juan Soto's agent. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's a, that's Boris, that's a Boris guy. He. <laughs> yeah. He. T- well, okay. So he he from the Boris side. He tweeted out, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, but the 13 year, 350 million dollar offer to Juan Soto didn't even make him pause. Like there was no. It yeah. was like yeah. Right. No thanks. So. You 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 compared it to the Rendon situation. Do you think it's going to end the same way the Rendon situation ended? Yes, I do. I know you. Do. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm pretty definitive that I don't think he's ever he's going to finish his career in Washington. I think he'll leave uh, when he's a free agent at the end of the 2023 season. Since we're on this topic, and it happened after the show yesterday, just your thoughts on Ryan Zimmerman's retirement. Well, I mean, that was, a, that was a special thing. You know, the only thing that Jim Bowden did right was drafting Ryan Zimmerman uh, as a first pick in 2005. And I remember when he first came up, you know, because I covered the team back then, uh, I remember saying, you know, he knows when to act like a rookie and he knew when to act like a veteran. You know, he was the kind of guy who knew when to keep his mouth shut. Right. And then knew when when to not act like you you haven't been here before. Uh, he had that perfect mix when when he first got there, uh, and he is he's the kind of athlete that uh, you know that if you're a Washington baseball fan, you, you're you're proud to say he represents us. I mean, there's a, there's a level of pride. I mean, I always had that with Seaver uh, when he was with the Mets. Uh, particularly early on when the Mets had gone from being lousy to being World Series champs in the you know the two years before they won the World Series, I used to say, well, when the Mets were still bad, yeah, but we got Tom Seaver. Tom Seaver's ours. Right. And even when the Nats were bad, Nats fans could say, yeah, but we got Ryan Zimmerman, you know, one of the best third basemen at the time in all baseball. So, uh, I mean, he's, 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 
He's been a gift to Nats fans to play his whole career here. I'm surprised, given the fact that uh, the DH now has been passed in the right. National League. He didn't, you know, take that up, but he doesn't have to work. He's made plenty of money, obviously, over his career, and uh, he's got a great family, and uh, I'm sure he knows it's time. Uh, I'll be curious if he winds up with the organization in some way, shape, or form. He's not going to be a coach because he makes too much money to be a coach, okay? But I'll be curious what kind of presence he has, if any, in the game uh, when he's retired. Did you vote for Scott Rowland? You did, right? Yes, I did, but I hadn't before. Okay. But I did this time. So I asked Galdi yesterday. I had Galdi on the podcast talking about um, the Ryan Zimmerman career. And, you know, Galdi said, you know, he was so classy in the way he handled the move from third to first, which, you know, happened a lot sooner than most people thought. And I just said, if he had stayed, you know, you would say that he was a really good third baseman, right? Ryan Zimmerman. Yes. So if he, he had stayed... He was a terrific... He was such a good third baseman, he could have played shortstop in his early years. If he, That's how good he was. If he had remained healthy and had remained at third his entire career, would I know that offensively he didn't have and you know doesn't have the numbers that Scott Rowland had, but would they have been comparable to you? If he had stayed healthy, he would have had the offensive numbers to go with it. Ryan Zimmerman would have been right, a because of all the, be, be, because of all the games he missed, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, he was a 30 to 35 home run, 100 RBI guy, and, uh, you know, a 280, 290 average when he was healthy uh, for, for, you know, much of his career. I think if Ryan Zimmerman had stayed healthy, he would have been a Hall of Fame candidate. All right. Um, I've got a bunch of football that I want to discuss. Uh, I actually want to ask Tommy about Deshaun Watson a little bit and update the Deshaun Watson story. We've got the Cowboys thing to get to. And I watched a lot of Malik Willis on tape because he's the guy out of all the guys in the draft that I really didn't see play a lot in college. And I have um, a, and I have an opinion on Malik Willis. But I just wanted to mention as we just move from one topic to another, I don't know if you saw this, but whenever I see Wilt Chamberlain's name in any kind of story, I, 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 it always catches my attention because you and I both kind of think the same thing. I mean... Wilts, there's no, there's no athlete in the history of team sports that has put up the numbers that are so outrageous compared to those in his era or any era like Wilt did. I mean, if you just want, you know, a, a fun 15 minutes one day, just go to basketballreference.com and go to Wilt Chamberlain and just look at his career. Like it's just outrageous. Like there's nothing that really compares to it. But um, last night, Demar Derozan. Uh, had 30, DeRozan had 38 points last night in a 125-118 win over Sacramento. DeMar DeRozan's been one of my favorite players for years. I don't know what it is. My son said this to me when I was watching DeRozan a couple of weeks ago. He goes, you just love those patient players. It's kind of like how you love Kawhi Leonard. And there is a little bit of that. I, I love the way scorers... 
the the patient scores, the non-explosive scores. Not that Kawhi isn't explosive, but guys that just know how to get buckets and do it with their brain and do it with a lot of other things and, and, and don't do it with overwhelming physical talent. And DeRozan's just been one of my favorite players, not to mention his story is such a, an interesting story. You know, the, what he went through with depression um, in recent years, um, I, I just am rooting for him a lot. And he's in a good situation in Chicago. Well, last night he had 38 points on 16 of 27 shooting, making him, which was 59% from the floor, making him the first player in NBA history to score 35 points while shooting better than 50% from the field in second consecutive games. DeRozan surpassed a mark that was set by Wilt Chamberlain, who had two six uh, uh, game streaks of 35 points or more with 50% from the field, the last of which came all the way back in 1963. You know, in this day and age, it's you see it in volume of shots typically when you see a guy going for 35, 40, you know, whatever. This guy has gone for 50% plus from the field, seven consecutive games, something Wilt didn't even do. And when you go back and you look, you know, at Wilt's field goal percentage for years, like his career field goal percentage was 54% he shot from the field. But he had years yeah. in which he shot – close to 70% from the field. In 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 6667 in Philadelphia, he shot 6 he was 683, 68.3% from the field. Um and by the way that year and, and he, let me just let me just Yeah. Let me just point out to everybody, I know, you know, all all the children out there are saying, yeah, <laughs> but he didn't play against anybody. Uh Wolf Chamberlain played against 14 Hall of Fame centers. Throughout his career, fourteen. Okay, fourteen. Wow. Yes. Obvious. Uh, you know, the, the thing about DeRozan, I haven't seen him play in a while, so you know, I I, uh, I can't really speak. I to love this. him, but but I, I understand why. I would probably love him too. And in Axio Sports, one of my favorite newsletters that I get every morning, they have an uh, a write up about him, and this is and without even looking. Watching him play, I'm in, lo- uh, I'm in love with him. Because during this streak, they say he's only attempted 10 three-point shots. Yeah, no, no, he's a mid-range. He's always been a mid-range player, yeah. yes. I mean, then, then, <laughs> then I'm in love with the guy. I know, I know. Um, I, he, I, I love him. He, he's probably, I think he deserves a lot of MVP conversa- conversation. But Joel Embiid right now is your MVP. Um, And to be honest with you, I don't even know if it's close right now, but DeRozan's had a spectacular year. But I just wanted to just real quickly um, on Wilt, just the, the, I mean, the the year that he shot 68.3% from the floor, he was already 30 30 years old. He also averaged 24.2 rebounds. That's the thing that's so unbelievable are the rebound average numbers. We know about Wilt averaging 50 points. Okay, just so for you kids out there, he averaged 50.4 points per game in a season. Okay, in in 80 games, he averaged 50.4 points per game. And that year, he also averaged 25.7 rebounds. And if he could have, if he was a good free throw shooter and he was a terrible free throw shooter, 
Imagine how, what he if he was just an average free throw shooter. There were probably there would have been multiple fifty point average seasons because he averaged forty four point eight one year. Averaged well, probably not multiple fifties, but he would have had he would have had certainly lots in the forties. Incredible, just to look at Wilt's numbers. The yeah. rebounding numbers are astounding. Yes, they are. And you know, I mean, having lived through the Wilt Chamberlain era, I mean, I think he's one of the greatest athletes in the history of sports. Yeah, I mean, uh, he was, he was, he was a high jump an Olympic high jumper. Although he didn't compete in the Olympics, he was Olympic level high jumper, Kansas. And though he didn't even participate in the, in the event, he could he he could he could throw the shot put farther than anybody on the team. He was immensely strong, fiercely strong. He was prolific in a lot of ways, wasn't he? <laughs> yes, he was. Not maybe as prolific as he claimed. Maybe not. But you know, but uh, I mean, he was, and he was convinced. I forget how old he was when he retired, but he was convinced he could have played into uh, into his late forties, and he probably could have. Yeah, you know, just in mentioning Kansas, it just reminded me because on Super Bowl Sunday, you know, a lot of people, obviously, in our community of Washington football fans, um, were tweeting out various Super Bowl things, and somebody tweeted out the Riggins run in Super Bowl seventeen, and. Um, and by the way, it was the Herzog call, which is such a great call of that run. Um, you know, I, and, I, and I tweeted something out and just mentioned, because I, I, I don't think people on that run, you see John pull away. People don't understand that Rigo was a, he was a sprinter. Like he, he held the record for the 100-yard dash in Kansas for a long period of time. Rigo, I think sometimes like Rigo gets this label of being a fullback, you know, one of the great fullbacks. Riggins was a running back. Okay, now he was a fullback when he first got to Washington, blocking for Mike Thomas, who was the rookie of the year for the Skins in 1975. And of course, Rigo laughs and scoffs at the way George Allen used him as a blocking back, which was just so ridiculous when you think about it. But I think when people think of Rigo, they think about him being a big, burly kind of fullback. Rigo, Rigo ran away from people. He's one of the, in, in terms of that position, he's one of the great combinations of size, strength, vision, and speed ever put into one body. I know Jim Brown, you know, but Jim Brown is actually the comp for Rigo. And I'm not saying he's Jim Brown, but in terms of that size, uh, that level of strength, and people having this perception that he just ran people over. And, you know, his average yards per carry is a low average yards per carry. He played, you know, in some offenses that weren't super dynamic until Gibbs got there, and then it was, you know, total focus on the run, and they would run him a lot, you know, 30-plus times. But, Rigo, if you look at that run, if you look at the run in 79 against the Cowboys, if you look at some of his jet highlights, he, he outran everybody. Like, he outran DBs. Yeah. And I think sometimes people yes, don't know that about Rigo. Um, and I think Rigo himself was, uh, you know, having worked with Rigo for as much uh, as I have over the years, Rigo loves track and field. I mean, he's always loved track and field. And that's because he was prolific as a, as a track, you know, as a track guy. And he loves, I think he sometimes doesn't like the fact that people don't recognize 
what uh, what kind of speed and athleticism he had. I mean, he was through the roof. But anyway, I, the, the mention of Wilt Chamberlain in Kansas uh, made me think of that. I mean, God, Kansas back in that era, right? Wilt came out of Kansas in the 50s. Gale Sayers came out of Kansas. And then Rigo came out of Kansas right after Gale Sayers, or a few years after. I guess Sayers was probably, I don't know, is eight years older than Riggins probably? I'm guessing something like that. Probably. Yeah. Um, probably. Okay. Rigo uh, was an all-state basketball player, too. He was an excellent basketball player. He, 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 he everything he, 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 he Did you ever play basketball with him? No. No, he's. I think. Okay. I think he was a. I think we've we've talked about it. He was very much like a power forward, a bit of a brutish kind of a basketball player. Um, that was not. You know, his brother, his brother, um, Frank. Who you know, if you've ever watched the football life of Rigo, which is, I think, one of the it's best. Great. Um, yes, his, absolutely. His brother, his older brother Frank, was a an unbelievable athlete as well, and a great football player and a great baseball player as well. He ended up, I'm I'm going to probably get this wrong, but he ended up in the farm system for I think maybe the Kansas City Royals. You know, um, but he okay. but Frank was a great running. Frank was in the backfield at Kansas with Rigo, but Rigo, you know, and. You know, as John and John's told this story so many times, and he told it in the football life, but I remember so many times him joking about that. He was not his father's, you know, his father did not see um, in John what he saw in the oldest son, Frank, you know. Um, uh-huh. Be, uh, and then it, John had a younger brother, uh, 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 Billy, who was always who came on our show all the time and was hysterically funny um, in a very dry way. But Frank was the guy that the father, the old man, thought was going to be a pro athlete. And you know he was in he was a pro baseball player. But the high school football coach, and I think that this was in that football life special, the high school football coach said to the old man at some point, I'm paraphrasing, I know you love Frank. Uh, but John's gonna Frank's gonna be a hell of a college football player, no doubt about it. John's gonna play in the NFL one day, and uh-huh. I think that that was the first time the father, uh, in, in, in thought, you know, hearing it from a coach, it sort of was an eye opener of just how how great of a player John was. But he always took sort of backstage, you know, backseat to his older brother, which probably happens in a lot of families. Yeah. Um, how did we get sidetracked on this? I don't know. I want to get to uh, I want to get to Malik Willis and tell you what I think of him, and we'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we were talking about DeMar DeRozan. His actual odds right now on my bookie are plus 2,100 for the MVP. So um, in front of him are Joel Embiid, who's a, a plus 120 favorite. Uh, you've got um, Jokic, Giannis, Curry, John ja Morant, Devin Booker all in front of him. Uh, but he's having a great year. Uh, go to mybookie.com or mybookie.ag. Uh, use my promo code Kevin DC, and they will match your first deposit dollar for dollar, all the way up to a thousand bucks. We're a month away from March Madness. Um, lots of great college basketball, man. Georgetown, holy Christ, Tommy! Owen fourteen in the Big East. I mean, that Patrick's got to be done, right? I, there's no way. This is the worst season we have seen for almost any team locally of of the you know of the big teams the four pro teams and the two you know big college basketball teams i don't know that we've seen a season this bad in in a long time yeah no, it, it's it's really a sad state for uh, college basketball right now in town uh, it, uh, you're right i mean maryland's struggling you know they need to hire a new coach and it looks like georgetown's probably going to have to hire a new coach as well but Mar- you know, look, I don't want to. Uh, I'm. This isn't going to be a college basketball segment. I- I'm just telling you, Maryland's been really close, though. Georgetown gets blown out every single night. They're down double digits. They're down twenty plus. Yeah. It seems like in almost every game, Maryland literally almost beat Purdue. They had a twelve point second half lead at Purdue, the number three team in the country last week. Uh, you know, uh, this week um, on Super Bowl Sunday, and had a chance with the ball in their hands to to pull off the upset. By the way, just real quickly. Rutgers is excellent. I love that coach, Steve Peichel. Yeah. I've liked him since he's, he's gone there. They just became the first team, I think, in five years in the Big Ten to win four straight games against ranked teams. Um, they're going to be a difficult out in the tournament. Um, anyway, uh, so before I get to Malik Willis, real quickly, tell me what you just saw on Twitter, I'm sorry, uh, that Michael Phillips just tweeted out. Okay, Michael Phillips of the Richmond Times-Dispatch yep. has an exclusive story 
that says the Washington Commanders and the NFL are at odds once again, this time over a proposed change to the team's new crest. At the unveiling two weeks ago, the team presented the crest, uh, an homage to its history, with the dates of the five world championships listed. But fans noted that the dates were the years of the Super Bowl games themselves, not the seasons uh, that preceded the titles. You know, uh, according to a source, the team tweaked the crest, changing the years to the Roman numerals of the games. However, all changes to logos and tweet identities have to be presented to the NFL for league approval, and the NFL declined Washington's request. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. I saw the Roman numerals. Somebody sent me, they had some sort of Super Bowl display in L.A. last week, you know, the one in which Julie was in front of the 22 jersey. But somebody sent me a a picture of the crest or patch or whatever you want to call it, and it had the Roman numerals, and it looked fine. That was the right way to go. But the league is telling them, no, you can't make that change? Yes. It doesn't say why. I'm betting on they just hate to work. They just hate this team so much they're going to say no to everything. I don't think that's it. I don't think that's okay. it. I, I, I'll tell you what I think it is. Um, so I, um, when I had Jason Wright on the show the day after two two twenty two, so two three twenty two. I said to him, I said, look, what is this? Is this the logo thing, patch? What do you call it? He said, we call it our crest. And I said, you know, do you know that the dates are wrong on the championship years? Um, and he said, well, you know, if, and he started to go into this long explanation. I just said, no, 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 they're wrong, Jason. The dates are wrong. Are you going to change them? And he said, well, again, like the official log, uh, the entry thing, you – you know, if you go into this, and I'm like, you don't have to tell me. And I, I said, go ask your, you know, and I told you, I said, go ask your coach if he played for the Super Bowl 86 Bears or the Super Bowl 85 Bears, okay? I mean, he, <laughs> he played for the 85 Bears. The, 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 the 14-0 and then 17-0 Dolphins were the 72 Dolphins. Our championship teams are the 82, 87, and 91 teams, period. And I said, worst, uh, let, me, let me also just add, what's really unfortunate is that the 92 champions are the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> okay, so are you going to get it fixed? And, you know, to his credit, he, he went into this kind of ex- explanation, and, I, and he just said, look, we're open to, you know, all of these things, and we're learning from people like you and fans and the whole thing. And then somebody sent me this thing of the Roman numerals, which is the you know is a perfect answer. At, you know, put the Roman numerals. You know, in, include the you know the the uh, thirty-seven and and forty-two, um, and uh, and then go with Roman numerals. You know, for seventeen, twenty-two, and twenty-six. But he did mention, and he was kind of you know meandering around i mean he started to tell me about like all of these different things that went into the logo and the history of you know pierre l'enfant and all this stuff and i just said look no offense nobody nobody really cares about that they care about what they look like you know um which is true um i mean you you don't when you when you come out with a new brand and colors and uniforms and a logo you know the history of it and how you arrived at it it's what does it look like? Do people like what it looks like or not? Um, but he did say that sometimes these things take some time with the league. 
So maybe they just tried to slip it in there like the league wouldn't notice. At least they recognize that they got it wrong, but the league is saying, no, it takes a couple of years. I mean, we're selling shit with this stuff on it. You know, like you can't just change your uniform in one year. It takes a couple of years. Okay, so they, okay, so your theory, and I'm sure, look, you're right. It, it, they, they, I think the league does have rules about that. But your, thing, your thinking is, uh, somebody in the Washington uh, commander's office said, well, we're pretty stupid. Maybe the NFL is just <laughs> as stupid as us, and we'll just let this go and forget that they have a rule against it. Can I just you know? tell you? Can Which I, did not happen. Can I just tell you one thing right now? I, if I were them, yeah. I would basically tell the NFL to go to hell. I'd say, you know what? My fans are pissed about this. Um, we don't. We haven't had that's much. That's a great position right now. <laughs> that, that's a great position well, right now. You know what? They're, at this point, the league's distancing itself from the team, and I would just say I'd call up Roger and say, Roger, I can appreciate some of the rules around you know logo and uniform stuff. Um, we really messed this up, and there are people in our fan base that are pissed. And this is an easy change, and it's not that big of a deal. And really, the 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 eighty three, you know, the eighty three. 88 and 92 patches will just be collector items that you know represent our stupidity in this but we are going to change this and you know you know i i i i i hope they do that because goodell will take their call and then dan leaves a message and then to break the levity of the nfl all the nfl is dealing with right now roger will call in everybody in his office said listen to this Go ahead. Listen to this message here. Well, you want to laugh? Uh-huh. Check this out. Well, Roger's dealing with a lot of stuff right now. Uh, yes, including, he is. Including yes, he is. They could, yeah. use, they could use a break. They, they could, <laughs> I, I, look, to me, if I'm the NFL, you know, it's one thing, you know, we don't really like the logo that we we put together. Um, we don't like this crest that we put together. The, well, sorry, you put it together. We don't like the color scheme. We don't like the design. We had a couple of others we were thinking about going with, and we didn't. And now we really want to. No, we got the rule. You got it. it that's one thing. When you have information on there that's wrong about you know something, there isn't much to be proud of. But, you know, but 82, 87, and 91, you know, is a source of pride for what's left of this fan base and certainly a source of pride for the past fan base. I mean, let us have this one for crying out loud. We fucked it up. Please. We're going to put the Roman numerals on there. It's a real easy fix. I, they, need, they need to, you know, they need to give them one on this one. Because they really, either that, or, or, or the, if, if I'm the team, then I would just say, then we're just not going to sell anything with this crest on it. We just can't. It's just, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant reminder about how stupid we are to those that actually care about the team. And we're not going to, we, we already will, we'll do other things that'll reinforce yes. how stupid we are. We don't want a constant reminder on a sweatshirt of how dumb we are. <laughs> this, we're being mocked for this. So you can tell us that we can't change it, which is bullshit, because it's an easy fix. Um, and I would be pissed if I were Jason Wright with the league. I'd say, look, this isn't a design flaw. This is an informational flaw that embarrasses us. We, need, we, 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 do, we do stuff every day. Our fan base wakes up embarrassed. We don't need to put it on a sweatshirt you know, to keep reminding them. We're going we're gonna to change this 
to the Roman numerals. And if you really push back, then we're just going to get rid of this crest altogether. I would, I would be firm on that. I would really be, I would, I would, I would appeal to their common sense on something like this. You know, it's not, it's not that you're putting out there something that the team now just has second has regrets about the design or the color. You're putting something out there that is wrong informationally, and is a reminder you know, to everybody I, I, out I, there. I, I, I just, I just think that yeah, your your view of this. Given the, 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 what the league is going through because of this this franchise, is a little naive. I think they're up there saying you ain't getting shit from us. Well, then I would just Nothing. then I would then I would basically just take the crest and put it out of the rotation completely. I mean, can they stop them from doing that? Not every team has a I crest. Know. I don't even know. What, why do you even have a crest or a patch? <laughs> I mean, don't I you mean, have? Don't you have a family crest? Uh, no, I'll be honest with you. The W, <laughs> the W actually to me, it looks fine. I mean, I know it's not overly creative, but it's it's Washington, and it's the only part of the brand it's that fine. I can. The, 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 the W is fine, and that's the actual logo. So I would, if if the league said no, I would just take this crest thing and take it completely out of the rotation. It just, I mean, God almighty, these people. All right, I want to tell you about Malik Willis. So um, Todd McShay came out yesterday with his updated mock draft. And his updated mock draft, latest mock draft, had the first quarterback going to Washington at number 11, and the quarterback was Kenny Pickett. And then he had the second quarterback going um, was Malik Willis, 17 to Pittsburgh after Pittsburgh traded up. And then he had Matt Corral going, and I think Sam Howell from North Carolina won at the very end of the draft. By the way, at the very end of the draft, just as a reminder to those of you that um, you know talk about the Detroit trade with the Rams sending Stafford to the Rams, remember the two first-rounders they got back were the Rams' first-rounders. Well, this year, that means that they get the 32nd pick in the first round. Um from uh, from the Rams. So if Washington, you know, Washington would have traded with Detroit um, and would have traded their picks to Detroit, Detroit would have ended up much better off with Washington's pick here this year than the Rams pick. But anyway, um, so I've mentioned many times, I've seen a lot of the quarterbacks that are being talked about just because I watch a lot of college football. So I've seen a lot of Kenny Pickett. I've seen a lot of Sam Howell. I've seen a lot of Matt Corral, et cetera. But I really have not watched Malik Willis at all. He played at Liberty University. There were a couple of those games, like the bowl game against Coastal Carolina last year that I watched. And the game this year against Ole Miss, I turned on briefly, but I didn't really watch it. So over the weekend and then more so yesterday and last night, I just watched a lot of of stuff on Malik Willis, including the Ole Miss game pretty much in its entirety. entirety, Well, all of the offensive possessions. I love Malik Willis. I, you know, coming out of Mobile, everybody kept saying Malik Willis has the highest upside, has the highest ceiling, but he's going to need a year, yada, yada, yada. But there's, you know, there's so much ability there. And Kenny Pickett is the guy that everybody says is the most pro-ready. And in fact, in McShay's write-up um, with Washington taking Kenny Pickett, he writes, you know, um, perhaps the commanders will trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Perhaps they'll 
trade for Jameis Winston, whatever he goes on. And he said, but I personally, and he goes, I personally have Liberty's Malik Willis slightly ahead of Pickett, but the Pitt signal caller, Kenny Pickett, is more NFL ready. And it's more likely he's the first QB off the board in April. Pickett reads the field well, has good touch, timing on his throws, sneaky pocket ability, et cetera, et cetera. He then writes, by the way, I'd be intrigued to see a competition between him and Taylor Heineke in camp. And if Heineke wins the job, he can keep the seat warm while Pickett gets acclimated to the NFL. Let me be really clear on this. If they draft a quarterback at number 11 overall, and it's Kenny Pickett, the most pro-ready, which everybody says, and he isn't starting week one, you got a real problem with Kenny Pickett if Taylor Heineke is your starter week one. Now, let me get to Malik Willis, because he writes about Malik Willis as he thinks he's got Willis you know, at the head of the class, but he's got him going to Pittsburgh. He writes, my top QB Willis has the strongest arm in the class and can create outside the pocket, making tough off-platform throws look easy. He's still developing, and he threw 12 interceptions last season, but the Steelers can build the offense around this dynamic passer. So... I've heard a lot of things about Malik Willis, but I really hadn't watched a lot of Malik Willis. The first thing that, and I, I'm just looking at my notes because I wrote down some notes here. The first thing is I guessed that he was much taller than he was. He's listed as 6'1 and 225, but he plays bigger. Like I would have guessed he was 6'3, but he's 6'1, 225. But he's a big, strong, strapping dude at 6'1, 225. Number two, he's got a gun for an arm. And he's got a very quick release. Um, And all of the discussion about him being inaccurate and his mechanics not being great, I think the mechanics weren't great maybe last year, not this year. I didn't didn't see many mechanical issues. The only thing is, is his elbow drops a little bit lower when the ball comes out. And you'd have to get kind of a quarterback guru to tell you whether or not that's a big issue or not. But – I mean, can make every throw. Big, strong arm. And a quick release. And a, by the way, a very quick decision maker. Third, oh my God, the mobility. I mean, he is not just a mobile guy. He is, I mean, what did I, I always said about Taylor Heineke, the number one attribute was his mobility, but really his his natural mobility to evade the pass rush with great feel in the pocket in and outside of it. Malik Willis has that and some. He feels it. He ducks it. Think about Vic. Think about the best to ever do it as, you know, guys with kind of eyes in the back of their head. Malik Willis is that. He's not a straight-line RG3 guy. They can't see it. He's, he's got a lot of Russell Wilson in him, in him, except he's bigger and stronger than Russell Wilson. I love his mobility. Now, I would think that a pro offensive coordinator is going to want to use this mobility and have a lot of the elements that you see in pro football now, but more prevalent in college football, a lot of the designed run stuff, a lot of the option zone read stuff, um, you know, involved in the offense because he is a great ball handler in the zone read game. Um, and he's a really good runner, but he doesn't like Matt Corral takes one big hit after another. He almost seeks it out. Malik Willis has great vision. He doesn't take a direct shot all the time. Um, so the Ole Miss game was the game that they had on their schedule this year. They played Virginia tech two, two seasons ago. They played 16th ranked Ole Miss in Oxford in November. 
Um, and if you just read the box score on the game, you would say, ugh, that sucks that he didn't really get it done here uh, in a big spot. Um, he threw three interceptions. He only threw for 172 yards. His team lost 27-14, to 14, which, by the way, was an incredibly low-scoring game compared to what it was supposed to be um, going into this thing. Um, and he just didn't deliver in the biggest competition spot that he had all year. I mean, a lot of people were, were really interested to see what he was going to do against an Ole Miss defense, by the way, that was, from a DVOA football outsider standpoint, was 28th in the nation. They were, they were a good defensive team. But he threw three interceptions, and his team got beat. They were never really in the game. But if you go back and you watch that game, the numbers are very misleading. He was totally up to the occasion. They dominated. Uh, Ole Miss did the. Uh, you know, basically a non D one. You know, a low level D one offensive line and supporting cast. Ole Miss came after him too. And he delivered some really good throws and made some really good plays. And he had receivers drop balls. One of his interceptions was a catch that the DB just stole out of his hands when they were on the ground, and they called it an interception. It it was certainly not Willis's fault. I thought he was – I didn't think he was outstanding because the team didn't get into the end zone enough, but he moved that team constantly up and down the field. They just, he had a couple of bad throws. He had one late in the game when they were down 27 7 on a third and long, and they came after him. And he just made, threw it up in the end of the end zone, hoping that a play would be made and it got, it, it got picked off. And he had a really bad throw at the end of the first half that got picked off. But to me, in watching him, he looked very much like an SEC quarterback. And if he had played in the SEC, if he had stayed at Auburn, as an example, or if he had played at a much higher level with a much higher level supporting cast, I don't think there's any doubt that this dude would be the number one quarterback in this draft. It's liberty, it's the, com- it's the competition, etc. But if you go watch as a football fan... And there's plenty of video out there. Just it's all on YouTube. And and you know, you can even get access to the all twenty-two on Willis. This dude has a massive ceiling. Now, I don't know anything about him, although Big Tony texted me, Tommy, this morning and said, apparently he's the first one in, last to leave, great teammate, the whole thing, which you got we, – we I mean, we all understand this, right? I mean, they drafted RG3 and they drafted Dwayne Haskins. They're 0 for 2 on their big-time first-round picks because, as it turns out, both of the guys just weren't the kind of guys you have to have at quarterback in the NFL. Um, for different reasons. I mean, you know, RG3 self-absorbed um, and, and you know, the owner's best friend. And in Dwayne Haskins' case, just utterly, you know, a child, immature, um, wasn't ready to, you know, have that kind of responsibility. Malik Willis, if he's not, you know, if he's really, uh, uh, you know, in love with football and is a leader and all those things, I would absolutely be all in if I were Washington on doing whatever I needed to do to get Malik Willis. Now, they're not getting him at 11. After watching this, Tommy, I don't see any chance where teams, there's so many quarterback desperate teams, I don't see any possibility that people don't trade up for a high ceiling guy. I think this past year just emphasized and hammered home even more. You better go for the high ceiling guy um, because if you don't end up with that guy, you really don't have a chance. And Willis is a high ceiling. Maybe he's a low floor guy too. I wouldn't worry about the floor. 
And the, here's the other thing. They keep saying he's not ready to play. He's got to sit for a year. I didn't see that. And if he, if he comes in and plays for this organization, he plays day one. I mean, whether he's ready or not, he plays day one because they don't have anything else. So uh, some uh, I, I, I comped him, by the way. If he were 6'4 or 6'5, he's Josh Allen, but he's not. He's 6'1. So Josh Allen's 6'5 and 240 or whatever, and is just a load. Malik Willis is a bit yeah. of a load, too. I mean, he's a, he's a big, strong dude, but I'm not going to comp him to Josh Allen because there's a big, you know, height difference. To me, and many people aren't going to be very impressed with this, but let me just say, I think he plays like Jalen Hurts. I like Jalen Hurts. I think his ceiling is much higher than Jalen Hurts. I think he's got a better arm, a stronger arm. I think he's more athletic than Jalen Hurts. And I don't think he plays with kind of the casualness that Jalen Hurts plays with. But stylistically, they're very similar. Um, And so you would want to have an OC that's going to be open to creating some stuff to leverage, you know, what he does really well. But by the way, he can sling it. I mean, he's got a gun for an arm, and it's a quick release. I just – I didn't watch any of these games, and I've just been reading about him, and I hear he's very inaccurate. He's got bad uh, throwing mechanics. He needs a year. I don't see that. I see in a place like Washington, him coming in, and uh, you got to have the right coordinator, and hopefully Scott Turner is going to be open to designing something that best fits him. But there's no chance Taylor Heineke plays before this dude or he sits behind Taylor Heineke for games until he's ready. I mean, if you want to bring in Mitch Trubisky and then draft Malik Willis and be aggressive on that and then take your time with Willis, okay. But you're not going to do that with Heineke. Anyway, I loved Malik Willis. I'll continue to watch, you know, like I haven't watched Carson Strong, the Nevada guy, which a lot of people like. He's not mobile. I know that. But Malik Willis, in my uh, in in my opinion, Tommy, if you're Washington, you got to be thinking highest ceiling guys. If you don't get Rodgers, Wilson, or Watson, you have to just go for the highest ceiling, because we watched, you know, Josh Allen go from you know being, I mean, Buffalo being mocked a little bit that they took him that high. Then he didn't start off his career well, and now he's elite. Mahomes is elite. Right. Willis has the kind of you know talent that he could eventually be an elite quarterback. He may not get there for whatever reason, but he's got that kind of talent. So I would go for it. I tell you what, and we've talked about this before. If you don't get one of the elite guys, and I don't think they will, in order to generate any kind of interest or excitement, uh, you have to draft a quarterback, and then the the idea of the unknown would be the attraction for fans. This guy sounds like he would really get the fan base juiced up, at least until he took the field. Um, you're 100% right, and we have talked about that before. I, it, it, Mitch Trubisky or Jimmy Garoppolo and Taylor Heineke next year is not a splash. You know, and it's not, yeah. it's not, a, it's not a path to some sort of big-time upside. You draft a quarterback at 11 or higher – even if it's not Malik Willis, you, you, that's that's what will be that that's legit juice, off season juice because yes. it, it's the yes, unknown. It it's the unknown that people will will you know will grab onto and say, may, you know, who knows? Maybe because yeah. you, you get you know one out of three, one out of four every year that ends up being really good. 
this dude's got the upside. He definitely has the upside. I mean, I've, I like Kenny Pickett. I, I, I know a lot of you out there listening don't love Kenny Pickett. I actually do like Kenny Pickett, and I don't think it's just a matter of him being the most pro-ready. I think that he's got some real tremendous upside, too. Um, I don't feel that way about Sam Howell at all. I mean, I'll go back and watch more Sam Howell. And Matt Corral and Malik Willis are very similar. I think Willis has a quicker release and a stronger arm than Matt Corral. And Matt Corral is this dude that just kind consistently seeks out contact. I mean, every single game you watched, he was limping around. I mean, it's just, uh, it's it's Tua. He's not the same style player of Tua. But I remember saying about Tua Tungavailoa his senior year, I'm like, God, every time you turn an Alabama game on, Tua's hobbling around. And it's just, it was the same thing with Corral. This guy Willis is really, really gifted. Really gifted. And I don't know, maybe a real uh, evaluator of quarterback play might say he drops that elbow a little bit too low. The mechanics aren't great. That's what's got to be fixed because it leads to some inaccuracy, which I'll be honest with you, I didn't see a lot of inaccuracy. Um, You go back two years, you see it, but I think maybe his mechanics improved significantly from uh, last year to this past season. But, um, you know, they might say, you know, he's got got to grow in terms of his ability to really, you know, be great pre-snap, post-snap, etc., but I don't know. There is there is upside with that dude. Just go watch the tape, people, and in watch the game that everybody knocked him for the 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 Ole Miss game this year because it was like the big opportunity, and he threw three picks and they got beat pretty badly. Um, go watch the the that that game and tell me that you you think he was terrible in the game. I don't think he was terrible at all. I think his team let him down a lot in that game, and they were just overmatched in that game against you know an SEC team, a good defensive SEC team, and a, a team that really got after him. And I would not take that Jalen Hurts comp and say, oh, I don't want Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is not a bad quarterback, um, but I think his upside's much higher than Jalen Hurts. I just think stylistically he plays like Hurts is the only thing I'm saying. He also plays like Josh Allen. It's just that Josh Allen, my God, is 6'5", 245, or whatever he is. Yeah. Um. Okay. You want to talk about this Cowboys thing and then wrap up the show? Sounds good. We'll do it right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate us and review us, especially on Apple. Uh, we appreciate that so much. It's been fun reading a lot of your recent uh, ratings and reviews. Um, okay, uh, before we get to the Dallas situation, I just asked you during our little break here, have you been watching any of the Winter Olympics? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, I'll be honest with you, and I don't want to get into a big discussion about it. Oh, boy. But I think it's, obs- I think it's obscene given the, the, the horrible human rights practices uh, that are going on in China right now, that anybody would send a reporter to cover those events. I, the last thing I give a shit about is a, is a goddamn figure skater or goddamn equi- bobsled equipment <laughs> or anything like that. Uh-huh. You know, while, 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 while there's people being uh, jailed uh, just for the way they think, and and you know these 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 concentration camps mm. uh, that that they have. So you know what, you know I, I've got a sense of outrage. And to me, uh, I think every media organization that sent reporters over to cover this are just enablers for China. They're just so, Chinese enablers. So you hate people who get canceled for the way they think or jailed for the way they think. Interesting. Um, so. Uh, There's a big difference I, I, between being behind bars and ignoring somebody, or yeah, or just having somebody lose their job and lose their livelihood. Um, so, uh, real quickly, I have been watching some of the Winter Olympics the last couple of nights. Not a lot of it, and it's it's actually not the last couple of nights. This skating thing with this 15 year old uh, girl. Uh, she apparently finished fourth and was a nervous wreck. They shouldn't have let her compete. Clearly. Um, and it messed up the whole, you know, b- by the way, I think this is true. I think it's the number one viewed portion of the Winter Olympics, is it not? Figure skating, isn't that the biggest draw? I think it is. Yes. So the, apparently that whole thing has been ruined. Liz, I saw Liz Clark tweeting some stuff out. Um, and I did watch some of that. And by the way, th- this 15-year-old skater, obviously who tested positive for something, I, I, I don't know much about figure skating, but there was a big difference between her and the other women when I was watching it with my wife last weekend or whenever it was. But I was just going to tell you that I, I watched for like 30 minutes. I was kind of mesmerized with curling. I guess I was mesmerized in part because it basically is kind of like shuffleboard. Um, I don't really understand the rules of the game. Um, I... It's so boring, and I guess it is a skill. It's certainly not an athletic endeavor. It's more of, you know, if you're good at curling, you might be good at darts, you know, or, or shuffleboard. I, I Shuffleboard was always a fun game to play when somebody had a good shuffleboard table and turned it into a drinking game. Um, but I, the curling thing, I just don't really – understand it and it's so intense with the with the the participants but my god how could you watch that thing for hours upon hours these games take forever too it's not cricket um but they have you know these sweepers and the i I, the whole thing is weird i i I, i've covered i've been to curl you know there's a a potomac curling club and they've had events locally uh-huh. And, and when you have a, like a tournament, it's called a bond spiel. Mm-hmm. And here, here's the here's the attraction of curling that they probably don't have at the Olympics is when other clubs all come for a bond spiel, 
they drink they bring cases and cases and <laughs> cases of beer. Well, it's the only way that I it mean, makes it interesting. Cases, cases stacked high to the ceiling. I mean, just unbelievable amounts of beer yeah. at these events. The so that's the attraction. The big round, heavy things that they you know push down the ice and then they try to broom them into the spot in the circle thing. They call them rocks. The announcers call them rocks. I, I think that's funny, but I, I I would like somebody to just send me a DM and just tell me if I'm right that this is not really considered to be an athletic endeavor. This is more of a true kind of skill. You know, this is horseshoes. This is darts. You know, this is shuffleboard. Uh, I don't see any athleticism involved in this, but maybe I am missing something. Um, so if you are a curling expert and you're listening to this podcast, just DM me on Twitter and tell me what, you know, if curling is just a game of skill. That's what it would appear like to me. They have these rocks. You know, they have these brooms. They, they Nobody's moving very quickly. I'll tell you the athletic part is when, they, when they're trying to broom the rock into the right spot, they have to, they have to sidestep and step over the other rocks. <laughs> oh, my God. Are you paying to go to a curling you know, I, match? I, I, co- I covered a couple of Winter Olympics. From the bar I covered or from the, the Winter actual? Olympics? No, from the actual uh, location. I was in Nagato yeah, yeah. in 1998. And, uh, Salt Lake, and you were in Salt, Salt Lake. Lake City. Yeah, right. I remember you told me in, in 2002. And you know, in Nagano, in Japan, uh, you know, what my nickname was by the Japanese Mm-mm. Big Boss. Yeah, because they they love you know they love bigger yes. bigger Americans. I guess they don't see a lot of yes. those yes. over there. I couldn't walk ten <laughs> feet down the street without getting my picture taken by somebody. Do you know that I? Um, it was pretty wild. When I was in Park City a couple of years ago, I I went to um, uh, I went to some of the Salt Lake City uh, skiing venues that from the Olympics that are still up there. It's really amazing what's required to put on a Winter Olympics, um, because like as a host city, Salt Lake City, I mean you're an hour and a half. You know, well you're every bit of an hour to a ski venue from downtown Salt Lake City. Like, the events are just so spread out. And I saw, you know, sort of the Olympic Village for the skiers that was still uh, that was still there. I don't know. I, I actually think a Winter Olympics would be fun to go to. I've never been to an Olympics, period. Never been. Should it be on my list? I, it's kind of on my list, but not really. The Olympics has become an obscenity. No. I know. You don't need to put it on your list. Okay. Um, let's talk about the Cowboys situation and let's get the hell out of here for the day. So, um, most of you probably know at this point, this Don Van Natta, uh, junior, who is really, uh, an investigative reporter for ESPN. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. Yeah. He's done a lot of really good stories. Him and the guy Van Valkenburg or whatever are are really good. Um, no, actually Seth, Seth, Seth Wickersham. Wickersham's good too. Is their other eight. Yeah, but yeah. so so is Van Valkenburg. I think I got the name, last name right. Whatever, Don Van Natta okay. Jr. Um, so, uh, for those that ha- don't know or aren't that familiar with the story, the Cowboys paid a confidential settlement of two point four million dollars after four members of their cheerleading squad accused a senior team executive of voyeurism 
in their locker room as they undressed during a 2015 event at 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 and T Stadium. Uh, each of the women received three hundred ninety nine thousand five hundred twenty three dollars after the incident. By the way, I mean if it were, I, I I'm assuming if it's a two point four million dollar settlement that, like if it's, if that's a settlement, do the math. It should have been six members of the cheerleading squad that got four hundred k. Um, but whatever. One of the cheerleaders allegedly uh, alleged that she clearly saw. Richard Dalrymple, the Cowboys' longtime senior VP of public, Re- public Relations and Communications, standing behind a partial wall in their locker room with his iPhone extended toward them while they were changing their clothes, according to several people with knowledge of the events and letters later sent by attorneys for the cheerleaders of the team. Dalrymple gained entry to the back door of the cheerleaders' locked dressing room by using a security card. Dalrymple was also accused by a lifelong Cowboys fan of taking upskirt photos of Charlotte Jones Anderson, a Cowboys team senior vice president and the daughter of team owner Jerry Jones. This happened in the Cowboys war room during the 2015 NFL draft, which which they were live streaming. Um, and this fan saw this happen and signed an affidavit that said he was watching a live stream and saw Richard Dalrymple um, shoot uh, a video or shoot uh, use his phone to take photos underneath the skirt of Charlotte Jones Anderson, Jerry Jones's daughter. Now Dalrymple. Did not respond to the interview request by ESPN. He told team officials he entered the cheerleaders' locker room not knowing the women were there and left right away. His account was contradicted by the way multiple sources described the alleged incident to ESPN. Dalrymple issued a statement and said, people who know me, co-workers, media colleagues, know who I'm about, know what I'm about. I understand the very serious nature of these claims and do not take them lightly. The accusations are, however, false. One was accidental and the other simply did not happen. He, uh, the, the accidental was the locker room with the cheerleaders and the other that simply did not happen, he is saying the uh, shot uh, of the um, of Charlotte uh, Jones's uh, underneath her skirt. Everything that was alleged was thoroughly investigated years ago and I cooperated fully. A Cowboys representative said the team thoroughly investigated both alleged incidents and found no wrongdoing by Dalrymple and no evidence that he took photos of, or, or video of the women. The team does not dispute that Dalrymple used his security card to enter the cheerleaders locker room while the women were changing clothes. The organization took these allegations extremely seriously and moved immediately to thoroughly investigate this matter, said Jim Wilkinson. The investigation uh, was handled consistent with the best legal and HR practices, and the investigation found no evidence of wrongdoing. If any wrongdoing had been found, Rich would have been terminated immediately. Everyone involved, though, felt just terrible about this unfortunate incident, Wilkinson said. So my first reaction, Tommy, was if there was nothing there after you investigated it, why did you pay these women $2.4 million? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But. Absolutely. And, you know, the go-to move here is, well, look at what happened to the Cowboys. You know, this is always the, you know, this is, I mean, going on with the Washington, uh, the commanders, people will say, well, what about the Cowboys? You know, the, the, the what about game? 
that they play in, but they're not the same. They're not. They're not comparatively identical. No, they're not. You want to you want to explain why they're you want to explain why they're not comparable? Well, one with Washington, uh, according to the uh, allegations raised in the Washington Post story and the testimony of the people who testified at the roundtable, uh, the Congressional Roundtable on uh, the franchise's sexual misconduct issues, it was systematic and prevalent. For many years, there and there's multiple victims. These weren't like uh, you know. I mean, there, there's no evidence that this that this that they call the NFL itself called it a toxic atmosphere right. in the franchise. Okay, this was who the Washington franchise was, not things that happened within the Washington franchise. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one big difference between the two. One was this several-year-long toxic workplace culture for women, a misogynistic workplace for women where they were sexually harassed or allegedly sexually harassed on the regular. Um, there was also um, the other big difference is that uh, Dan is much closer to the scene of the crime than Jerry Jones is in this case. You know, Dan, there, there, I mean, first of all, we have the recent allegation from Tiffany Johnston, but we, you know, we have a $1.6 million settlement against Dan, you know, on a plane ride back from the country music awards, which we don't know what it was for. We also have the allegation that, um, there was the cheerleading, you know, video, uh, there was the, uh, version that, you know, the public saw, and then there was a special version that was edited just for Dan. There were those accusations, whether or not they're true or not. There's nothing here that has Jerry anywhere near the scene of this potential incident other than Jerry's you know, closest per- friend in this organization, according to many, was Richard Dalrymple for years. He was with the organization for 32 years. Now, let me just say that the reason that you would pay the cheerleaders $2.4 million dollars is the same reason a lot of uh, you know big companies with lots of disposable ability will pay somebody even if it's not an admission of fault. It's because they don't want it to become a story. They don't want it to get out there. And in this particular case, Dalrymple, um, I was watching an interview with Don Van Natta Jr. yesterday. You know, there apparently was a bathroom nearby, a men's bathroom nearby, and that he was trying to get access to that. It could have been, I mean, I'm just saying I don't know that it was, but it could have been possible that it was accidental. And at the same time, the cheerleaders were also traumatized by it. Like he didn't mean anything by it. He was trying to get to a bathroom, and then he realized it and got it got out there, got out of there. But the cheerleaders saw him with his phone in his hand and in the women's locker room, and they were upset by it. So that that could be a reason that you know they they paid two point four million dollars. What is strange though is that Dalrymple, after thirty two years, retired earlier this month to no franchise fanfare and in the wake of hearing everybody believes that ESPN was getting in closing in on the details of this story Um, but it's not comparable to Washington's situation it's nice to have a little bit of company in our misery Um, there's nothing wrong with I think you know uh, embracing that as a Washington football fan what do they call that? Schadenfreude or whatever. Um, but uh, you, but it, it's just not the same situation. Now, the bigger question is, does this hurt or help 
in the situation we all want, which is Dan's exit. Does this impact it at all? What do you think? Uh, I don't think it impacts it. Uh, I think I think it 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 enhances. I mean, I know the focus that the uh, House uh, Committee on Oversight has been a lot about the the commanders, but they're also interested in the NFL overall. They're also interested in the emails between John Gruden and and Bruce Allen. That's also part. Of, of the scope that they want to examine. Uh, I think it helps their case if they, the more uh, evidence they can mount about what they could at least paint as an NFL systematic problem. Uh, so I think, I think for what the committee wants to do, this helps them in their overall scope. I don't think it impacts Dan one way or the, Wash, or the commanders one way or the other. Neil said to me this morning, he just said, look, you know, what is the purpose of Congress continuing to stay after this? They've got to have, you know, sort of a larger reason other than just to get Dan Snyder in the Washington commanders. And, you know, he's starting to think that it might be, you know, it's, it's, they've been talking about, you know, just, you know, learning from and creating legislation to make workplaces everywhere more safe for women. Okay. So that, that's, that's a big, you know, that's a big, that's, that's a big macro kind of view of it. The micro uh, view or a specific goal would be to move to a situation where these NDAs are not part of an employment requirement, you know, and NDAs are not confidentiality agreements. They're not settlements, you know, with uh, an employee as part of a quid pro quo for a severance or whatever. Um, you know, but a lot of companies will will require new employees just to sign a general one sheet NDA. You know, even if they don't have a, a contract, because most employees don't have contracts with companies, right? But if you do, if you are in one of those positions where you actually have a contract with a company, there are stricter kind of contracts confidentialities and non-competes and non-disclosures in a contract versus the, you know, the, these one page NDAs, which really are very hard to enforce, very hard to enforce, but still Neil seems to think that potentially this could be the way Congress goes and that this cowboy situation could be another reason for Congress to, to continue to push forward on this, you know, the more and more. Yeah. There, yeah. Yes. This is this is the bigger scope, and this is, I mean, like you know, the, Dan Snyder gets all the attention, but the emails are still very much. Uh, the emails is the one that that we've talked about before. Kickstarted the the whole Wilkinson outrage again, so they're very interested in those emails, and they see that the questions they've raised on that is this a pattern throughout the league, and then the the. Uh, the cowboy story only feeds that that uh, notion. Last thing on this, like when I read it, uh, I mean, I I, I understand the voyeurism, and you know, it's it's certainly a, it, it's certainly one of the genres um, out there uh, if you're interested in that kind of thing. But in this day and age, honestly, how weird. Do you have to be to use your phone to take photos of cheerleaders changing or an upskirt of, you know, the the owner's daughter 
who, by the way, she's a woman. I mean, it's not like, you know, this is Jerry's daughter. She's probably in her 40s or 50s, I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, It just, hey, Richard, you got the phone in your hand, dude? There's a lot more accessible through your phone than just your camera trying to take some pictures. Yeah. It's just. That's a deep-seated issue that has. (laughs) That has much more to do than just uh, uh, you know a quick look. That that's some deep seated issues there. I don't. Yeah. I, 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 look, I'm not suggesting that these things don't happen anymore, and that this isn't. You know, I just it's weird. It's strange. But it, it, and by the way, if it's true, I mean, a massive violation. And the team, if they investigated it and swept it under the rug, they're going to be in big trouble. But then again, they settled. They got a settlement, and so it's not like you're going to get anything from these cheerleaders after they took four hundred grand, because with that four hundred grand came a strict confidentiality um, associated with this. Because none of the cheer cheerleaders are you know part of this story, nor will they be. Dalrymple's not. The Cowboys didn't um, do it. I, by the way, Van Natta Jr.'s uh, reporting is, I'm sure, spot on. But um, they apparently have the timestamps on the key card that he used. So it'd be interesting to find out how long he was in there. Like, did he go in there and realize he was in there and then immediately leave because he didn't realize he was walking in on somebody? Or was he there for 15 minutes? And in terms of the video on the live stream, I wonder if that live stream video exists anywhere. Yeah. Um, did you ever know Rich? No, I never dealt with him. Um, I know a lot of people who cover football did, obviously. Yeah, he was always considered to be very good as a PR guy. Yeah. All right. Anything else? I got nothing else for you today, boss. It's just another day in paradise down here in Miramar Beach. It's beautiful here today, too. It's in the 50s. It's going to be 60-something tomorrow. All right. I'm done with you. I'm done with everybody. Uh, Back tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of the day, evening, whenever you're listening to this. See ya. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.